0: Brothers and sisters, I would ask that you turn with me in your Bibles to our our text this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Mark, as we continue our study in chapter 8. And today we are just going to focus our attention on on one verse. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Now, just for the sake of context, I'm going to read from 34 to 9:1, which is really the the text here, but I'm breaking it up. So, we're going to read 8:34. We're going to read 8:34 to 9:1. But today, our text is going to be just Mark 8, verse 34. Okay? So, hear with me then the, the reading of God's word. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them. for whoever is ashamed of Me and My words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. And He said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Kingdom of God after it has come with power. Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Well, I wonder how many Christians misunderstand what it means to come after Christ. Now, we shouldn't, though, should we? Because it's it's clearly and plainly laid out for us today in the words of Jesus Himself. We have to ask, why are so many self-deceived? Well, I think the answer is because like we've seen with Peter's reaction to that revelation that Jesus must be a suffering Messiah, Right? Our natural inclination is to despise the cross and to shun suffering. Right? This is why there are some movements in Christianity that have gained great popularity because they, they tell people what they want to hear. Right? They, they tickle the ears of the people. That to follow Christ means having a a full bank account. It means having great health. It means living your best life now. It means the removal of any and all obstacles in your life. It means glory for you now. That is the message, I think, by nature, though, that we all are attracted to, isn't it? This is what Peter was hoping for. He desired earthly glory. And so he rebuked the Lord when he learned that that would not be the case. That's how much Peter feared the message of suffering. Right? That he rebuked his Lord. The one who he just finished confessing to be the Messiah and the Son of God. He rebuked them for that message. And if a close associate of the Lord, if a dear friend of our Lord's could react in this way to the message of the cross, how do you think the world reacts to the message of the cross? Right? How do you think those Christians who like to be friends with the world react and respond to the message of the cross? And so many Christian leaders today understand this. They understand that people react negatively to that message. And so what must you do in order to get people through the church doors? You have to play down the cross. You have to play down the cross. This is why if you ask so many Christians, you know, tell me about your life since coming to Christ. Many times what you'll hear is is a life of ease. You'll hear them say something like, yeah, since I've come to Christ, things have been great. All of a sudden, I got this promotion for my job that I've been trying to get, and now that I'm a Christian, all of a sudden I seem to have gotten it. Or maybe they say, "You know, after becoming a Christian, all of a sudden a week later, I got a, a refund check in the mail from my insurance company. It was amazing. Or you know, I, I won fantasy football after becoming a Christian. That was something that never occurred before. Or when I went to the grocery store, I always used to get the back parking spots, right? But now since becoming a Christian, when I pull in, it seems like the, the Red Sea, everything parts. And there's a, a front and center seat for me. Right? That's how they explain the Christian life, don't they? Right? Many people do, do it in that way. Now, I'm being slight, slightly facetious when I say those things. right? But what I'm saying is that many people describe the Christian life in terms of ease and comfort and gain. Right? But when you hear that ease, comfort, and gain, what I want to ask, though, is this. is, this, is What did you lose? I hear all these things that you gain, but what did you lose? Right? What, what friends of yours no longer want anything to do with you because of your Christian faith? What family members no longer invite you over to their home because of your Christian faith? What daily battles are you struggling with? Are you... What daily battles are you despairing over? Are you crying out to the Lord to help you to conquer? And how are you actively fighting against these daily? That's what I want to know. You see, many people think that coming after Christ means that it's just kind of like a a cherry on top of your already great life. But if Christ is just a cherry on top of your already great life. What distinguishes you from the unbeliever? Not much, does it? But what people don't understand is that when you become a Christian, you are not the same post-conversion as you are pre-conversion. Because becoming a Christian means a radical change in your life. And this is a radical change in your life that you experience every single day. If you have experienced all gain And no loss since becoming a Christian, I would say to you, you must question whether you are truly a believer. You must question this if all you experience is gain and no loss. Because what J.C. Riley said was absolutely right. He said that a religion that costs nothing is worth nothing. Isn't that right? A religion that costs nothing is worth nothing. And so anyone who affirms a Christianity in which coming to Christ only means rainbows and butterflies, if it only means good things, then guess what? They affirm no Christianity at all. That is empty, that is worthless religion that they affirm. And it's not because your pastor says it. It's because Jesus Christ Himself says it. What does He say in our text today? All who want to come after Me, what does He say? Prepare yourselves for a glorious life of excess. Prepare yourself for abundance of earthly pleasures and treasures. Expect to be loved by all men. Is this the message our Lord tells the apostles in the crowd today? No. What does He say? He says, if you want to come after Me, deny yourselves. Take up your cross and follow Me. And if we must be reminded, what did Jesus' life consist of? Suffering. Slander hate from the world, being despised, ridiculed, mocked, being killed. Christianity has become in many respects a business of sorts, hasn't it? Where now we try to get as many people as we can through the doors and we do that by telling them all the great things that they will have if they come to Christ. But what's interesting, if we look in our text today, is that Jesus does the exact opposite. He doesn't tell them all the good reasons they should come to Christ. He tells them all the terrible things that are going to happen to them if they come after Christ. And why do you think He does that? Right? Because His vision of ministry is much different than ours. He's not trying to get as many people as He can in the door. He's trying to weed out and get out all of those who are coming after Him for wrong and false reasons, right? Who are trying to just sneak behind Him to to enter into glory without suffering. But Jesus' response is that anyone who desires to come after Me, and He means anyone. Remember, He's talking not only to the apostles here, he is talking to the entire crowd. So this... This denial, this taking up the cross, this following after Him, isn't just for a certain class of people. It's not just for those who want to be leaders in church. It's for every member in the church. Jesus is saying, if your desire is to come after Me, you must be willing to die. You must be willing to lose your life. He says that if you desire glory, you will only ever achieve that through suffering. And without suffering, you will never have glory. If you think you can live this life today, brothers and sisters, if you think you can live a Christian life in which you do not deny yourself, in which you do not daily take up your cross, in which you do not follow after the pattern of Christ, you are fooling yourselves if you believe that you are a Christian and that you will ever have glory. These things are necessary for anyone who thinks themselves to be a disciple of our Lord. And so the message today may appear offensive to some. It may be, appear divisive to some. But that's okay. That's okay. That is what Jesus intended it to be. Now, He didn't intend it to be unnecessarily offensive or divisive. But He's telling the truth. He's not sugarcoating it. He's telling them what they must expect if they are to follow after Him. And sometimes that just offends people. Sometimes that is just divisive. right? But this is the method that all churches ought to be following in ministry. And perhaps if we did that, more often than not, right? Christianity in America today wouldn't be so watered down, would it? Right? If we followed after this pattern that Christ demonstrates to us. And so today, we are going to be looking then at what Jesus says to the apostles and to the crowd. And answering, what does it mean to come after Christ? And so, brothers and sisters, I ask you all to, to be very attentive today. I want you to be very attentive in listening. And asking yourselves, as you are hearing what is being said, in light of what Jesus says here, You know, does this describe me? All right? If you can say to yourself, yes, Father, I have come after you, and I have come after you on your terms. And not on my own terms. So let's be thinking about that today in this message. And so we're going to be looking at this then under three points this morning. And the three points are this. First is self-denial. Self-denial. Point two will be cross-bearing. Cross-bearing. And point three will be following after Christ's pattern. Following after Christ's pattern. So, point one self denial. Now, it's important at the very outset, right, that when we talk about self denial, or when we talk about any virtue, ever, we must be reminded that it is all of grace, right? It is all of grace. No unregenerate man or woman could ever deny themselves, right? We cannot do it, we do not want to do it. Right, unregenerate men and women cannot be like Christ apart from the Spirit of Christ. So if you are a believer, today we have been saved by grace through faith, not of works, but also we've been saved by the Father to be His workmanship in Christ Jesus. Right? We are saved and being renewed after the image of Christ. Right? We are being made like Christ. And so we have to ask, what does that mean? What does it mean to be made like Christ? And what does it look like in our lives to be made like Christ? But at the outset, we want to be clear. It is not do these things, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Him, and then you will have Christ, then you will have faith. But rather what Jesus is saying, and what we all need to understand, is that these things are already true of you. You have been granted faith in Christ, so that now you can undertake (coughs) this Christian task. And so, what is self-denial? What is self-denial? At its core, when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. What Jesus is saying is, you must renounce, you must forsake, and you must part with your former self. When Jesus says, let him come after me and deny himself, he is saying, you must renounce, forsake, and part with your former self. This is why anyone who thinks that they can come to Christ and be the same person they were before coming to Christ, they are fooled. Paul spells this out for us in Titus chapter 2 verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What's Paul saying? When grace came to you, guess what happened? The relinquishing of your former life. But what also does he describe here? Not only the putting off of the old man, but the putting on of the new, as he says, that we now live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3, Paul says, This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. What's sanctification? It's the putting off of the old man and the putting on of the new. And why should we want this? Why should we desire to grow in our sanctification? Because Paul tells us, this is the will of God for you. And so what is self-denial then? Well, one aspect of self-denial is denying your natural will. Part of self-denial is denying your natural will. We see this with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, as he's a, nearing death, and he's, he's praying there. What does he say? Not my will be done, but thy will be done. That is what self-denial is. Not looking to our own will, but looking to the will of our Heavenly Father. It also means denying our natural inclinations. Right? Self-denial means denying our natural inclinations. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11, Peter says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Right? We are naturally inclined right, to desire sinful things. right, to, to gratify those sinful desires. And what is Peter saying to us? He's saying, reject those sinful inclinations. Because what do they do? They wage war with your soul. Another aspect of self-denial right is denying our own natural intellect paul says in second corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god and take every thought captive to obey christ the mind of christ is to become our mind right god's way of thinking is to become our way of thinking no longer are we to be led by the wisdom of the world but by the wisdom of christ Self-denial also means being willing to renounce even good and lawful things that our Savior has given unto us. Husbands, wives, sons, daughters, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, wealth, your own life. But Jesus says these are things we must be willing to go against or to part with if we must do it for the sake of Christ. Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. What Jesus is saying is that we must prefer Him to everyone. We must prefer Him to everything. Jesus says, I come first in your life. Jesus even comes before your own natural earthly life. No wonder then why the, the world despises the message of the cross. Right? The world is all about self-love. About living a, a happy life. About becoming your autonomous self. Right? This world encourages ambition, prestige, honor, and glory now the scriptures though demand what self abasement renouncement of self love recognizing that we're going to be looked down upon and despised by men this is why you cannot dabble in both worlds you cannot dabble in both worlds what fellowship does darkness have with light right you cannot love both the world and god for they're opposites of one another isn't this what john says Love not the world or the things of the world. But nowadays, what is sad is that you can't tell where the love of many Christians lies. But that's because in this self-exalting world we live in, we forget that we are not our own. To live is Christ. Which means abandoning who you are. To live is Christ, which means abandoning who you are, not embracing who you are. Because the life you now live is lived in Christ. He reigns in you. He rules over you. He governs you. We are now God's instruments of righteousness. We exist for His glory and not our own. When Jesus is saying, deny yourselves, what He is saying, Also is that Jesus is opposed to the self. They are two contrary paths. They are two contrary ways. They are opposites as well. This is why you cannot come to Jesus and remain yourself. But you must lose yourself and be swallowed up in Jesus. That is what it means. To deny yourselves. So if you want to deny, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you must it's not that you can if you want to. You must deny yourselves and come after Him. But what else does Jesus say that it means to come after them? Well, He says it means taking up His cross. And this takes us to point two. Taking up the cross or cross-bearing. Now, I want us to picture in our minds uh, what that would look like. Right? What cross-bearing in the first century would look like. Visualize that. Because as Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. First century people would have understood this. They would have known what what, what that was. They may have witnessed it themselves. Right? Crucifixion, which was an execution style of the Roman authorities during this time. And so when Jesus says, take up your cross, what do you think they're thinking? Picking up this heavy piece of wood. And they're struggling with it to get it up on their shoulder, And they're struggling and they're experiencing pain as they're carrying it, as they're walking down the road all the way to their own execution. And so what Jesus is saying to them at this time and what He is saying to us is you know what? You know what those first century people were doing in carrying their cross? That they did unwillingly? You and I today and those people that Jesus is speaking to, then He is saying to you, you must do it willingly. Right? They they took up their cross, they carried it to their death unwillingly. You are to take up your cross, carry it to your death willingly. That is what He is saying. Now, obviously, we don't have to face the the same penalty of death as many did during the first century with the with a crucifixion, right? But it does not mean that we still don't suffer. That we still don't face affliction in this life. And so Jesus says, anyone who comes after me has to take up his cross. He's saying, you have to be ready and willing to face afflictions, sufferings, and miseries in this life. If you are going to take up your cross, you must be ready and willing right, to suffer the miseries and afflictions of this life. And those afflictions are, are really twofold. There are two types. right? There's outward affliction, And then there's inward affliction. So outward affliction would be those things that would affect your body, right? It's it's those things that might pain you. It also can be slander, right, from people outside. It could be people destroying your good name and reputation. And it could also mean your death. And then this is what Peter, Paul, James experienced, if you remember, in, in Acts, right? They were imprisoned and James even died. And then you have those inward afflictions, which... Have to do with the soul and have to do with our conscience and have to do with dealing and battling temptation daily inside of us. This is why it's important to understand the, the Christian life as a battle. It's important to understand the Christian life as a struggle. Right? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 and 11, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This is battle language, right? This is war language. This is fighting language. What is Paul saying to us? If we want to remain standing at the end and not overrun by the devil, we need to be putting on the armor of God daily. This is, this fight is what Paul is anguishing over in Romans chapter 7 verse 22 and 23. When he says this, for I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Right? Paul is fighting against these internal afflictions. This remaining sin inside of Paul is whispering into his ear. Fulfill all of your carnal desires. Do those things you know you ought not to do, while all the while Paul is struggling and striving against it. But this is what it means to do battle. This is what it means to take up your cross daily. To be in this fight, to be in this battle, to be engaged. Likewise, we have to understand that it's your cross. Take up your cross. Which means that everyone has been allotted by our Lord their own crosses to bear. And so everyone's afflictions may be different. They may vary in degree. But one thing is certain, you will all suffer affliction. Because as Christians, we are destined for that in this life. Right, this is what Paul encourages Timothy toward in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Right, Paul says this, Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Right? He doesn't say, try to escape suffering, does He? No, He says, share in the suffering. And think about it, brothers and sisters. If, if you are not being afflicted, what that tells you is you are not on the battlefield. Right? It tells you you are not fighting. You are not being a good soldier. If you are not... Dealing with affliction daily, what it also tells you is you are not fighting against sin and you are not fighting against temptation. Which means what? It means that sin and temptation now rule over you. They own you. You are enslaved to those things. What also though is true of the battlefield? Well, not everyone gets assaulted in the same way. But everyone does get assaulted, right? On the battlefield there are some who who lose a limb And they deal with outward affliction, right? There are others, though, who are affected more mentally by what has taken place in war. And so they are affected internally. But all are afflicted, aren't they not? And Jesus says this is going to be the same of the Christian life. right? Everyone will be afflicted. You cannot escape it. But I say to you, brothers and sisters, nor should you want to escape it. You should not want to escape your affliction and your sufferings. And your miseries. And why not? Well, because affliction and suffering does what for the Christian? It teaches you obedience. It teaches you obedience. What does the author of Hebrews say in chapter 5, verse 8? He says in speaking of Jesus, Although He was Son, He learned obedience by what He suffered. What does James have to say about the trials we suffer? He says, count them all joy, because the testing of your faith produces patience. You see, brothers and sisters, we should see affliction as good, for a few different reasons. One, because it's God's will for your life. Number two, you ought to see affliction as good, because it conforms you after the image of Christ. And number three, you should see affliction as good, because it Reminds us and assures us of our true and saving faith as we are being as God is demonstrating to us in affliction His graces at work in our lives. And so we should want affliction. We shouldn't shy away from it. We shouldn't run away from it. This is exactly what Abraham experienced in Genesis 22, didn't he? If you remember, in verse one, we're told this: After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said, Abraham, take your son and offer him as a burnt offering to the Lord. And so what does Abraham do? He goes along and he does it, doesn't he? He's about to go through with it. And then an angel of the Lord stops him. And he says what? He says, Abraham, stop. We know that you now fear the Lord. We know that you fear the Lord. You see, Abraham's obedience to the will of God was an affirmation also to Abraham of his true and saving faith. Right? In that moment, what did, what did Abraham learn of himself? That he loved God more than he loved anyone else, even his son. Right? It demonstrated to Abraham that his will had become God's will. Right? And in knowing these things, what peace and assurance that ought to have brought Abraham. And so we should all willingly and cheerfully submit to the crosses that we have to bear. But it also means, brothers and sisters, that we are not to desire anyone else's cross. We are not to desire anyone else's cross, but simply rejoice that whatever crosses you suffer is God's will being worked out in your life. Oftentimes we are always envious and covetous of what other people have, aren't we? And I think the same is true when we speak about affliction. We look at ourselves and we say, look how bad I have it. Look how easy it seems these brothers have it. It seems like they have a, a much lighter affliction from the Lord. I want what they have. I want a trade. But we have to stop doing that. We have to refrain from doing that. Why? Because it's sin. It's questioning the will of God, whose will is just, holy, perfect, and right. And so this takes us into our third and final point this morning, brothers and sisters, which is following the pattern of Christ. Following the pattern of Christ. Now Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, it's important right, at the very outset to qualify what we mean so that there be no misunderstanding. Right? When we talk about following Jesus or following the pattern of Jesus, we mean this in a particular sense. Right? None of us can die for sin. None of us can forgive sin. None of us can fulfill the law. Nothing that we do in denying ourselves, taking up the cross and following Jesus has any merits to the work of Jesus Christ. What it means then to follow after Christ is simply that we are to pattern and practice, make a practice of our life doing those things that our Lord has imitated for us. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21, Peter says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. Right? It's not that we suffer identically to Christ. But brothers and sisters, that we follow in His footsteps in that we likewise suffer. That is what Peter is saying. Right? Jesus has left us His life as a great example. And perhaps there is no greater example that Jesus has left us than His humility in taking upon Himself our human nature. Right? What does Paul say in chapter 2, verses 5-8? through eight? We read this. Have this mind among you which is yours in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I want us to focus briefly on that phrase, emptied himself, in the King James Version, that's translated made himself of no reputation. And I, I like I like that they mean the same thing, but I, I like the way that's said. I think it's more clear. Because when people hear emptied himself, they get all confused in the head. Right, and they get distracted from re- re- what's really being said. Right? And so he made himself of no reputation. How so? How did he do that? Well he gave up his position over the law, didn't he? And he took the burden of the law upon himself. Right? He gave up the riches of his heavenly abode. He gave up his heavenly glory. He suffered humiliation. He was mocked, despised, became hungry, thirsty, was born in a manger in Nazareth, a son of a carpenter. This is how he made himself of no reputation. He who reigned in the heavens came down and suffered at the hands of men. And He left this example for us. Right, He who was everything became nothing. And He tells us to follow after His pattern. Right? Christ didn't exalt Himself, but He abased Himself on this earth. This world tells us to be all that you can be. It tells us to you know, really make an imprint Right? Become something special. Right? Create for yourself a legacy that, that men will praise you for. But I say to each and every one of you here today that you must remove that from your mind and you must cast out of your heart any desire for the glory of this world. Right? You, like Christ, must be nothing. You, like Christ, must be nothing. Now, perhaps that's a 1st you I've never heard a pastor tell you to be nothing before. So when you talk to your friends, you can say, you know, my pastor this week told us to to be nothing at church. But I want you to understand, when I say be nothing, I'm saying it in context of this passage. So that when I exhort you to be nothing, what I'm saying to you is be nothing to this world. Be nothing that they want to glory in and praise you for. Right? Be nothing. Jesus didn't come to this world to live the good life and be praised by men. Right? He came to fulfill all righteousness, to suffer and to die. He came not to please men, but to please His Heavenly Father. And so, brothers and sisters, in following after His pattern, right, we too right, are to live a life of suffering, live uprightly as Jesus did. And we are to seek not to please men, but to please our Heavenly Father. This is what following after the pattern of Christ means. And so I ask you all here today as we draw near to our conclusion, do you who desire to come after Christ deny yourselves? As we have described today, do you take up your cross as described here today? Do you follow after the pattern of Christ as described here today? Because this is the sum of the Christian life. Denial, cross-bearing, following Christ's pattern. This is the sum of the Christian life. But I also want us to understand that this isn't the final page in the story, right? This isn't the final page, right? Because He who died and He who suffered was exalted, right? And raised, and now He sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. and right? If you go on in Philippians chapter two, in verse nine, the very next verse, we are told by Paul: Therefore, God has highly exalted Him. And bestowed upon him a name above every name. Right? He who suffered is now in glory. J.C. Riley said this. If you do not carry the cross, you will never wear the crown. If you do not carry the cross, you will never wear the crown. But I think we can, we can flip that too, right? We can reverse that and say that if you do suffer, if you do carry your cross, you likewise will wear the crown. And that is an assurance that we all have here today. So just as Christ carried the cross to His death on His way to heaven, brothers and sisters, let us take up our crosses and carry them unto our death as we are on our way to heaven. Please bow your heads. me. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the entirety of Your Word. Even the the hard portions that are difficult for us to hear, ones that we oftentimes don't like to hear. We are so thankful, Father, for these passages. Uh, We pray, Father, that You would teach us uh, what it is that You mean by denying Yourself, taking up Your cross and following after You. We pray, Father, that You would cause us a, a discontentment with the world and a desire to simply follow after Christ and to seek the glory of our Heavenly King. So, Father, we ask for forgiveness for all those times in which we uh, have a love for the world and those times that we refuse to deny ourselves and instead give in to our sinful desires. And we ask, Father, that you would grant to us a greater desire to be like your Son, Jesus Christ, and that you would fixate our our eyes on that that end goal, the, the place that we are walking towards, and that is heaven. So, Father, we come before you this day asking all these things in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.